Good morning, church, and good morning to those of you who are guests with us today. Just want to welcome you this morning. Welcome to College Park Fishers. And uh, if you're looking to find out more about our church or about how to get uh, better connected, we do have a next steps table, which is located outside this room and uh, down to the left there, a group of people that would love to explain uh, how to get better connected into our church, uh, whether that's membership or small group or serving um, or even baptism. In fact, our next baptism service is uh, on November 5th. And uh, so for those of you who haven't been baptized yet and you're a follower of Jesus, that's the next date. And a team of people would love to talk to you uh, about more of what that is. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive into our passage together. God, when we think about uh, the events that have taken place in Las Vegas, God, Psalm 10 comes to mind. For the wicked boasts of the evil desires in his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. That he sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places he murders the innocents. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. God, we think about those events and, Lord, even all of the, the sin and the evil over the last couple of months, whether that be racism in our country or natural disaster or the killing of innocent people. God, our hearts cry out, how long, O oh Lord? Lord, our hearts are tender to these things. Lord, sometimes we don't know what to say or, or how to even pray. Our hearts just hurt and they're in pain. And yet we resonate with the words of the psalmist here who says, arise, O oh Lord, O oh God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. O oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice for the oppressed. So God, that is our prayer today, that you would minister your grace to the families who are hurting today. Lord, we pray for the church and the churches in Las Vegas, Lord, that they would stand. God, that they would be a beacon of hope. And Lord, that you'd use them to minister your grace to the people who are in need. And Lord, now as we turn to your word, God, we pray that you would open our hearts, God, help us to be attentive to what you have for us, and God, I pray that you would show us, that you'd shape us today by the power of your word, I pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, memory is a fascinating phenomenon. I was doing some research on remembering and memory, and it's absolutely amazing what our memories can actually do. I don't know if you know this, but if our brain was a computer, it can hold over 2.5 million gigabytes of memory. Now you take that and you compare that to the, the largest uh, hard drive to date for computers at 10,000 gigabyte, gigabytes, and our minds, our memory can hold a lot of things. In fact, we have about 70,000 thoughts per day on average. And if you're left-handed today, you have a better memory, statistically speaking, than right-handed people. The average attention span is about 20 minutes. So that might explain why some of us have a hard time remembering the second half of my sermons. But memory and just the idea of, of remembering is an amazing gift. But forgetfulness can be quite a painful experience. I was thinking about this this past week about how many things that I have just forgotten in my life that I haven't even quite realized. Like I was thinking about all the things that I used to just 
remember and hold so dearly, like my scoring average in middle school that I, I can't remember what that is, or my GPA in, in high school, or, uh, or my best friend's phone number growing up. Like, I can't remember any of those things, and yet those things don't bother me. Like, I don't, I don't really care about those things because they're not important. It's the important things that we forget that sometimes cause pain in our lives. Like when I forget my car keys and I'm late to a meeting, or when I forget a close friend's birthday, or even last week when my three-year-old asked me the question, what's the difference between the prophet Elijah and Elisha? And I just blank for a moment. Like, I can't remember. Hold on, let me, let me look that up real quick. Forgetting things that are important are painful because of the consequences that we experience. We know that to be true. You know, if you are late to a meeting because you forgot your car keys, you experience the consequences of disappointing people in that meeting. If you forget your anniversary, then your spouse is mad at you. If you forget to eat, you are then hungry. Like, we understand that there are consequences to forgetting things. And yet, my question for us this morning is, do we understand the spiritual consequences for not remembering the faithfulness of God in our lives? Are we able to articulate what happens to the spiritual shape of our souls if we forget about God's promises and about God's faithfulness and his compassion in our lives. So my aim this morning, and I feel like some of us maybe don't know how to answer that question, that we need to be shown this morning what the benefits are of remembering God's faithfulness and also what the consequences are for forgetting God's faithfulness. And I think our passage will help us do just that. In fact, this morning, we're gonna learn a strategy of how to avoid falling away from God due to a failure of forgetting God. In fact, this passage is gonna point out three aspects of God that we are to remember in order to avoid falling away from God and falling into idolatry. So three aspects that we are called to remember. Number one, we are to remember God's faithfulness. Number two, we are to remember God's compassion. And number three, we are to remember God's promises. So I'll unpack those in just a moment. But first, let's review the condition of Israel at this time and understand what the, what the condition of, uh, of Israel is in these chapters. In chapters 11, 12, and 13, we see the consequences of spiritual amnesia. Israel at this time is best described as being full and forgetful. But in these chapters, we see the full implications of failing to recall failing to rehearse and failing to dwell on what God has done in the past and what God promises to do in the future. In fact, chapter 13, verse six is a great summary statement of the condition of Israel at this time. It says, but when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. They were full and forgetful. And yet developing spiritual amnesia is not just something that happens in our lives. It's not just we wake up and we have forgotten God, we've forgotten his faithfulness. It's something that happens over time, like, like many of the idols in our lives. The people of Israel have a heart problem. It's really important to know their, their issue, bottom line, has to do with the deep places of their hearts. And yeah, they've got all kinds of issues. They're worshiping other gods. They're engaged in highly sexualized cultic practices. 
They're greedy. They're discontent. Their military and political actions are corrupt and deceitful. They've got a lot of issues going on in this nation, but their root problem is that they have a heart that is full of sin. And so before we dive into the things that we are to remember, I want to first point out three characteristics of Israel's heart during this time that led them to being full and forgetful. So three characteristics of Israel. Number one, we see a heart that is bent away from the Lord. Chapter 11, verse uh, seven says that my people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the most high, he shall not raise them up at all. So Israel here is being described as a people whose very posture is being turned away from God. They are bent away from him. So as a result, God says that he will not raise them up. He won't rescue them from the Assyrians just yet. So Israel's turned away from the Lord. Even verse five says that Assyria is their king and they refuse to return back to God. Let me just pause for a moment, just point out the fact that your heart and my heart are always bent on a certain direction. It's either bent towards the things of God or to ourself and to our sin. There is no neutrality in the leaning of our hearts, that it's always bent a certain direction. And a heart that fails to remember God, to remember his goodness, is a heart that is aimed away from God. And so this discipline of remembering it, it keeps our hearts bent towards God and it keeps our hearts soft and responsive to the things of God. Yet that doesn't describe Israel here. Second characteristic that we see about Israel is a heart that is insatiable, a heart that is insatiable. I won't read all the verses here, but there is a theme that runs throughout these three chapters that describes Israel's desire for more. They're insatiable. They're discontented. They're craving sin to abound more and more in their lives. If you look at chapter 12, verse 8, it describes Israel as being rich, that they're finding wealth. They're wanting more wealth. Chapter 13, verse 2, describes Israel now sinning more and more, that they're making more and more idols. And then, of course, chapter 13, verse 6, they, verse six, they became full. They were filled and their hearts were lifted up in pride, and therefore they forgot the Lord. Now, the result of a heart that is insatiable, that is lusting for more and more sin, is a heart that forgets about God, a heart that is looking for ways to be satisfied outside of God and his grace is a heart that has lost sight of the Lord. And there is a difference between being satisfied with sin and the true satisfaction that God provides, the satisfaction that sin provides is temporary. It's cheap. It's instant. It's something that is surface and, and superficial. And in fact, something that sin does as we pursue it more and more is that it actually numbs our ability to experience joy. And so it causes us to crave it more and more. And yet the more that we sin, the more that our hearts are callous until it leads us into destruction. That's the cycle of sin. And yet the satisfaction that the Lord provides is lasting. It's deep. It connects the deep places of our soul with our creator. It's life-giving that it leads to a desire for more of more God, which actually results in everlasting joy and fullness of life. And as opposed to sinning more and more, 
When we enjoy God more and more, our ability to experience joy, our, our ability to experience pleasure in God is actually amplified and expanded. So one of the ways to experience that is through the discipline of remembering something that Israel failed to do. They were looking for it in sin. And then number three, another characteristic, the last one here I'll point out, is a heart that is forgetful. That they're not only bent away from God, they're not only insatiable with sin, but they have forgotten God, as I've pointed out in chapter 13, verse 6. Now remember, Israel at this time was incredibly successful. Okay, we cannot lose sight of that reality. That they were prosperous. They had everything that they could imagine. And it's interesting that at that point, that is when they stop remembering God. It is when that they are filled up. It's when that they are not lacking in any need do they forget God and his faithfulness. See, this is a warning for us. When things are not going so well in our lives, that's when we're really good about crying out to the Lord, right? That's when we start uh, to pray more. That's when we're texting people in our small group to pray for us. That's when we never miss a, a prayer and worship night month after month. We're even reaching out to our grandmas who are prayer warriors to pray for us. Like when things aren't going well, that's when we cry out to, Lord, to the Lord. But it's when things that are going well, when things are clicking, when we're getting blessing after blessing, that's when we tend to forget the Lord. And something happens when we experience the blessings of the Lord. It does something to our understanding of our need for God, that our realization that we're dependent creatures, our desperate neediness kind of fades in the background because we're filled with blessing after blessing. And that's exactly what we see with the nation of Israel. Listen to this warning in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 20, that describes Israel's condition and is a warning to us. It says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I commanded you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Look, that is exactly what has happened to the nation of Israel. And that is a warning to us of what happens in our lives if we fail to remember God and his faithfulness. So Israel is full and forgetful. So what do we do? What, what happens if our hearts are full and forgetful? What happens if, if this description of Israel resonates in your own life, if, if you feel and you sense in your own life that you're bent away from God? If you find in your own life just this insatiable lust for more sin, what is the cure? Well, the cure is the discipline of remembering. It's remembering the things of God, remembering his faithfulness, his compassion, and 
his promises. So let's look at each of these three aspects as a strategy to avoid falling into sin. Here's number one, remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. Now when you read chapters 11, 12, and 13, one of the things that should jump out to you is this contrast between what God is like and what the nation of Israel is like. These chapters are full of explaining what God has done and what the nation of Israel has done. And the reason for that is because Hosea wants to highlight the faithfulness of God. He wants the platform that God has been faithful and that God has a perfect track record with his people. And the reason why we need to be reminded of that is because we are a people who are prone to forget. In fact, the, the hymn that we sang earlier today, Come Now Fount of Every Blessing by Robert Robinson, this is, this is one of my favorite hymns. I'm sure it's one of your favorite hymns. And in my observation, the most loved verse from that hymn is this. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Like we sing those lyrics and we say, that resonates with me. Like we sing that and we say, that's, that's how I feel. Like that's, that's my experience in my life, that I am prone to wander I'm prone to leave the God I love. Like, we would all say that. And yet, why? Why are we prone to leaving the God that we love? Well, it's because we are forgetful people. It's because our hearts have a tendency to, to leak times in which God has been faithful in our lives time and time again that we are a people who are constantly looking to the next thing, that we are really bad at looking back and remembering what God has done for us. And so how does remembering help us from wandering away from God? Well, let's start here. Anne Voskamp says this about remembering. She says that God weaves who he is with the act of remembering, that he calls on us to know who he is by remembering. In other words, what God does when we remember is he takes all that he is and he presses it into our hearts and into our minds. That God takes who he is and he moves it from, from the abstract into the personal. Have you ever said this to yourself? Like you feel like you know so much about God and yet you don't live it out consistently? Well, it's usually because you're failing to remember and to rehearse and to recall all that God is and all that you know about God. It's part of the reason why in scripture we are commanded to remember over 70 times. Look, we're, we're a forgetful people. And yet the discipline of remembering, it closes the gap between having kind of this, this loosely awareness of God into an, a knowledge of God that actually impacts how we are to live. And so if it's true, which I believe it is, that God weaves in who he is into our lives by remembering, then one of the main characteristics of who God is in this passage is that he is faithful. That God makes this clear by referencing specific faithful acts all throughout these chapters of what God has done in the, in the past. God's faithfulness means that he's trustworthy, that he's dependable, that he is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. That he does not change like shifting shadows, but is consistent 
and is reliable. Now, chapter 11 opens up with God through Hosea, reminding us of that. In fact, the first four verses, Hosea is hearkening back to the Exodus. He is remembering when Israel was just a, a little toddler of a nation and God delivered them out of the bondage in Egypt. Basically, chapter 11 is all about how many years ago, by Moses and the plagues and all that, God called his son Israel out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And God reminds his people of that all throughout these chapters, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, chapter, chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. And I think part of the reason what, why God is wanting us to remember his faithfulness is because remembering his faithfulness in the past helps us to actively live in the present based on what's true and not what's based on what's false. See, Israel had forgotten God's faithfulness in the past, and so they were living in the present here based on a false understanding of who God is and what God is like. See, they were looking to other nations and these other gods as something that would fulfill them, something that would be faithful to them because they had forgotten God's faithfulness in the past. Look, this is, this is important for us to know because sin looks most appealing in our lives when we are most forgetful about God's faithfulness in the past. Like in the midst of, of temptation, when, when temptation is hottest, and, and when we are most tempted to doubt God and to run away from God, it is usually in those moments when we are most forgetful about God's faithfulness. When sin is trying to persuade us and lure us away from the faithfulness of, in, of God, it's usually when we have forgotten what God has done in the past. And yet there is, there is nothing that is more powerful when you are in the midst of temptation when you stare temptation in the face and you rehearse God's faithfulness to you in the past, there's nothing that can curve those temptations more than recalling God's goodness, recalling the pleasures of who God is in the midst of temptation. The reason for that is because there is no one that is more influential in your life than you are. There's no one that, that talks to you more than you do. Have you noticed that? And, and look, you're constantly talking to yourself. You're constantly preaching at your heart. And, and the, the call here is to remember what God has done in the past as a means to avoiding sin in our lives. So the question is, is what are you preaching to yourself? Are you preaching a gospel that, that is centered upon Jesus? Or are you preaching a different kind of story in which you are the main character? See, one of the most powerful things to do to, to our idols and to, and to the sin in our lives, when, when temptation comes knocking, is to talk back to our temptations. Talk back to our idols. Look, they're, they're talking to you. They're, they're luring you away. They're making false promises to you. Why not respond back with the faithfulness of God and what he has done for you in the past? So when sin comes to you, you can respond to sin and, and to the temptations and say, look, what you're offering me is false. What you're offering me is cheap. What you're offering me is, is instant gratification, and it is an illusion. You can talk back to your idols and say, look, look, my God is faithful. My God is true. My God is lasting. My God offers me true and lasting satisfaction, something that you cannot provide. Look, this is the power 
of remembering God's faithfulness even in the midst of temptation. And this is something that Israel failed to do, that they forgot what God had done for them in the past, and they're being lured away by sin after sin after sin, and they have nothing to stand firm on. And so we remember God's faithfulness. That helps us. Number two is that we remember God's compassion. Remember God's compassion. These chapters are filled with with God just kind of flexing his, his steadfastness and his loving kindness to his people. Look at chapter 11, verses eight and nine. God says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Now here, we, we kind of see the internal divine turmoil. Uh, throughout these chapters, God kind of goes from, from being vengeful to, to showing compassion, from wanting to uh, kind of unleash his wrath on his people to showing kind of a, a tenderness to his people. In fact, in just the previous verse, God says that he will not raise them up and rescue them. But here, we read about God's compassion growing warmer, God's tender love for Israel. He loves Israel. He is for Israel, and he wants Israel to know that as he speaks to the prophet Hosea. And so God's compassion, which is unlike his faithfulness, means to be moved in the bowels. That the Jewish thinking was that the seat of emotion was in the stomach. And so when you feel love, when you feel pity, when you feel grief, you, kind of, you can almost feel it in your gut, in your stomach. This is a description of what God is like towards his people. He is filled with this passion and this love and this tenderness towards the people of Israel. He, he cares for them. He loves them and he is for them. Now God's compassion, his loving kindness is something to be remembered and celebrated, not taken for granted and forgotten. Love what Charles Spurgeon has to say about this. He says, remember the mercies of God. Do not bury them in the grave of ingratitude. Or Nancy Le DeMoss says, forgetfulness and ingratitude go hand in hand. And so look, when we forget about God's compassion, when we forget about God's kindness to us, it not only produces ingratitude, but it impacts what we think about how God thinks about us. When we fall into this sense of just taking his compassion for granted, it impacts what we think God thinks about us. Let me unpack that for a moment. So spouses here for a moment, if, if, you are, if you're in a healthy marriage, one thing that you do consistently is you tell your spouse that you love them, right? That you affirm them, that you make sure that they know and that they feel that you are for them. And yet, look, they, they know that. They know that you love them. Like you made a covenant with them on your wedding day. And so part of the reason why we tell our spouses that we love them is, yes, we want to affirm them. Yes, we want to express our love for them. But another reason is we want them to live out their covenant with that awareness of what we think and what we feel towards them, because that impacts how they act and how they interact with us. And so the way of remembering, the way that 
remembering God's compassion bends our heart towards him is that it reminds us of what God thinks of us. It reminds us of God's disposition and his posture towards his people, that God's posture is one of love towards his people. It's one of acceptance. It's one of compassion. It is not fury. It's not this vengeful, wrathful God towards his people. He loves his people. In fact, Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17 says that, it talks about God singing over his people with joy. Like this is really important. If we remember and we recall that when God thinks about us, he is filled with joy and delight for us. And so if you forget that, that will deeply impact your relationship with him. Because if you think that God looks at you and he's frowning at you, and he's got his arms crossed, and he's, and he's disappointed with you, and he's filled with wrath towards you, that's going to impact how you live your relationship with him. You're probably gonna live out of fear. You're gonna live out of, out of this sense of earning his love. You're gonna pursue obedience out of false motives. And so look, just in the same way of, of a healthy marriage, we need to be reminded of God's disposition towards us, and that's the power of remembering God's compassion. I mean, look at God's response to Israel's heart that's bent away from him in verse eight. I mean, verse seven, it would just got done reading how, how Israel's heart is bent away from. Look at his response. Verse eight, he's basically saying, I can't throw you guys away. How can I give up on you? I, I can't, I won't treat you like Adma and Zeboim, who were two cities that were completely destroyed. He's like, I'm not gonna do that to you. My, my heart is bubbling over with compassion and grace and love towards you. That's, that's God's response, that he's attempting to woo the people of God by showing compassion. Or as the Apostle Paul would say in Romans chapter two, verse four, that the Lord's kindness leads to true repentance. Look, we need to remember God's compassion. In fact, flip over with me to uh, Psalm 77. I want you to see this. Turn up, I'm not gonna have it on the screen, but I want you to see this. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Psalm chapter 77. I wanna read a couple of verses from this Psalm because here you get a picture of, of the power of remembering. What happens when we remember God's compassion? Psalm 77 says this, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, uh, verse five, verse six, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then the notice is verse 10, or verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. You see that there? 
You see what happened from, from verse nine of forgetting, uh, of asking if God has forgotten to be, gra- to be gracious, wondering if God has, has forgotten to be compassionate, wondering if his promises will hold up. He gets to verse 10 and 11 and he remembers God's compassion. He remembers God's goodness and what he has done in the past as a way to battle fear as a way to battle sin, as a way to battle our doubts against God. It is by remembering God's compassion. Do you notice that he's preaching to himself? He's responding back to his doubts. Look, the discipline of remembering, specifically God's compassion, it helps us in the face of temptation. Look, he, he sought, God sought you. Remember? You remember when you were wandering away from him? Do you remember when, when you were an enemy of God and he sought you? Do, you? do you remember that? Remember chapter three in Hosea when, when God told Hosea to go search for Gomer, his wife, who was back into, into prostitution? Do you, you remember that, that you were spiritually Gomer? That you've committed spiritual adultery and yet God paid to redeem you back with the blood of his own son? Do, do you remember that? See, the the discipline of of remembering God's compassion and God's kindness, it melts our heart of stone so that we can continue on in faithfulness to him. We we cannot forget about what God has done. We remember God's compassion. Number three here, the last thing to remember is God's promises. God's promises. So we remember God's faithfulness, remember God's compassion, but also we remember God's Promises. Now, there are all kinds of promises that we are called to believe in, that we're called to remember in order to, to aid us in the Christian life. This is extremely important in order to, to be faithful to the Lord. And yet, there is one promise in here that I want to highlight for us that I think is really, really important as a way to bend our hearts away from idols and towards the Lord. But the promise that God is trying to remind Israel of it's the promise of the coming Messiah. That Hosea actually points forward to Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promise to fully rescue Israel. Let me show you in chapter 13, verse 14. He says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Now, other translations, like the American Standard, has that last phrase as repentance shall be hidden from my eyes, meaning that, that God will not change his plans of redeeming and rescue, uh, rescuing Israel from death. Now, this verse should remind you of something. This verse should, something should, should go off in your minds about where you've heard this verse before. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul quotes Hosea here. And he says that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now follow this with me. God, through the prophet Hosea, is trying to remind Israel of the coming day in which he will send the Messiah to fully redeem the nation of Israel and the people of God. 
that he's not just reminding them of the fact that he rescued them from Egypt in the past, but he's also pointing forward to the day in which the Messiah will come. And when he comes, he will remove the sting of death. He will actually conquer death. He will crush the head of the serpent. This promise is fully realized and fully fulfilled in Jesus. If you remember from the first week or the first couple of weeks, one of the four reasons that we decided to study Hosea was to look at a, a minor prophet and see how it foreshadows to Jesus in the gospel. Well, here it is. Jesus is not just the greater Hosea. Jesus is the greater and the perfect Israel. That all throughout the gospels, Jesus is cast as the true and faithful Israel. That in the gospels, there is this retelling of, of Israel's well-known story, but, but Jesus is right in the middle as the main character, actually fulfilling the role perfectly. That we see Jesus, who is the faithful son, called out of Egypt, filling up what was lacking in the first faithless son, Israel. From the beginning to the end of Jesus' life, to his baptism, to his 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus was identifying with the covenant people Israel, that he was the embodiment of Israel, yet better and perfect. So even in Hosea, we, we learn something important about the person of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came and he completed all that Israel lacked and failed to do. All of the adulteries, all of the idolatries and rebellion and waywardness that characterized Israel would be recast in the true Israel, Jesus Christ, that God sent his son to do what the people of Israel could not do, that he sent his son to live on this earth and to live a perfect, spotless life. He completely obeyed his father to the point of getting up on a cross and dying in the place of sinners, that Jesus took the weight of sin, the reality of God's wrath was placed upon him in order to save the people of God. That was something that Israel could not do. And then Jesus raised back to life three days later. And look, he offers eternal life for all who believe as a free gift by grace through faith, if you trust upon Jesus and turn from your sins. Look, friend, are you here today? Have you trusted in Jesus, the, the better and greater Israel? Have you submitted your life and, 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 and given your life fully to Jesus and, and live for him? Like my encouragement for you is, is not just to get wrapped up in this Old Testament history and have your intellect tickled with Jesus fulfilling Israel, but if you're, if you're here today and not a Christian, my encouragement, my prayer for you is that you would bend your knee to Jesus and make the most important decision of your life and trust in him for the salvation of your soul. Look, don't leave this place without doing that because Jesus is the answer to your longing heart. Look, God, this is amazing here, God wanted Israel to see the coming Messiah in Hosea chapter 13. Look, the reason for that is if Israel would have understood this, if Israel would have remembered this promise that was made way back in Genesis 3 and reiterated throughout, imagine the power that that would have, that that would have been for this nation. That in the midst of sin and rebellion, in the midst of the Assyrian Empire taking them over, if they would have remembered this, 
If they would have said, hey, 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 this is, this is a promise that God's trying to help us recall and rehearse. Look, this is not the end of our story, that God will be faithful. He will bring the Messiah either in our generation or the future generations. Hey, let's turn back to the Lord. Let's be faithful to the Lord because of this promise. Imagine the power that that would have been for this nation, and yet they failed to recall this promise. They failed to remember and so the warning to us this morning is, is there a promise of God in your life that you're, that you're failing to recall? Is there something about, about the promises of God that you're not rehearsing that maybe five years from now, you're gonna look back on this season of your life and think to yourself, man, I wish I would have lived in that promise of God. What promise of God do you need to be reminded of today and actually live in order to enable you to live in faithfulness to him? See, one of the things that the discipline of remembering does for us is it allows us to live in the narrative of the gospel, that it allows us to, to live out the story of God, that God is the main character and we are not, that Jesus has come, that he has saved us and that he has unleashed his power through the Holy Spirit in order to help us be faithful to him. Look, are you living in the promises of God? Are you living out this discipline of remembering and remembering God's faithfulness, remembering his compassion, and remembering his promises as a strategy to avoid idols in our life? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you are a good God, that you are a faithful God, that you are a true God. Lord, we thank you that as we look back on your track record with your people, God, it's spotless. God, as we search your scriptures, we see promise after promise, Lord, that we can, we can stake our lives on. And so, Lord, I pray that as we think about this discipline of remembering, God, that you would help us each and every day to stop, to pause, and to recall of your faithfulness in the past. God, we want to be a people who are not marked by spiritual amnesia, but we want to be a people whose hearts are filled with just this love for you because we recall of your deeds of old. So, God, make that a reality in us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.